I'll try one big cough, see if I can get rid of it. I uh, was told by someone who knows much more about it than I do, that if you have a super hard word, such as supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, that you don't know how to spell, there is someone you can consult, and they will be glad to help you, and his name is E.J. Fleming. And this picture, this picture, I believe, is the winner of, is that the school or the district? I'm not sure. The district. Congratulations, E.J. We are at the end of some time that I've spent with you with Noah. We have uh, looked at the favor that God had on him. You know, I was thinking the other day, um, I was something I was going to throw out in the trash. I don't even remember now what it was, and when I actually went to do it, I couldn't do it. I said, well, this thing has some use in it. I can, I can still use this thing. I mean, you know, one of those moments. I can't throw this away, even though it's in the garbage and it's bound for the trash. I can't throw that away. Man, I could, it's an old faithful, whatever. And I had this thought. I suppose maybe that's how God felt about Noah when he was getting ready to wipe everybody off the face of the earth. And he came on Noah and he said, I can't get rid of this guy. He's, he's too pure. He's after my heart. Um, anyway, the phrase in the scripture is that Noah caught God's eye. He had favor. The Lord didn't have favor over the other people there, but he had favor when he saw Noah. And he said, I can't pitch him out with the flood. And so he worked through Noah. And uh, how amazing it is. When we consider and when we ponder the impact that Noah had on everything following. So we've kind of traced him through this journey of the ark building and the ride itself, which was 14 months in that big box and uh, not even knowing where they were going to land, when or how and so forth. But these are these are principles for our life because we don't know where we're going to land and we don't know how rough the ride is going to be and we don't know when we're going to be finished either. But God will park our ark, just like God parked the ark for Noah. He'll take care of us. And then last week we uh, talked about how the the day finally came when they got out, and there's this rainbow in the sky, and the Lord saying, I'm infusing in that some meaning for your future. It's a picture of the covenant. By the way, the first place in the Bible we ever read or use the word, find the word covenant used is in the story of Noah, in the rainbow, The, the first you know, how significant the promise or the commitment of covenant is in the whole scripture. This is the first place we ever come to it is with Noah after the ark where the Lord said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a commitment to you, Noah, and this will uh, extend for all time and all people. And the Lord said the earth, you know, the earth is just bombastic right now. Uh, we're dry. Everybody's dry in the east. Uh, fires everywhere. Uh, supposedly global warming that's changing all the weather and all that. We had to just remember, in the midst of all this bombasticity, if that's a word, that God made a covenant with the earth itself and the earth creatures. I will not destroy you by flood. 
ever again. And so the Lord is, and also that I will, I will provide for you a seed time and a harvest. And so we know that that's a, that's a huge issue, a, a huge sigh of relief knowing that. <clears throat> I'm going to read part of chapter 9 um, in Genesis. We read part, of, read part of it last week. Yeah, I've got a few minutes. Uh, why did that bring a laugh? I don't know why I got, I don't, I don't see anything funny about that. I'm fully serious. I got a few minutes. Verse four, this is after they got out of the ark and God gives Noah this mandate to populate the earth. He and his three sons and wife. Verse four, but you must, oh, first he says, I give you everything, including the animals, Everything that I've created is available for you to eat. Prior to that, so Noah was the first meat eater, I take it. I looked back through the first couple chapters. There is no record of anyone hunting or eating meat. Nimrod, who it says was a hunter, comes in chapter 10, but we're in chapter 9, where the first permission is given by God to eat meat. And, um, and so he says, but you must not eat meat that has the lifeblood still in it. For your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal. From each man, too, I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For the image of God, for in the image of God, he has made man. As for you, be fruitful and multiply and increase in number. Uh, then God said to Noah and to his sons, I will establish my covenant with you, and this is the story of the rainbow that we talked about last night. <clears throat> Let me skip to verse 18. The sons of Noah came, who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the three sons of Noah. And from them, this is a significant statement, and anthropologists and people like that should pay attention to it because the Bible explains uh, even though there are many mysteries as to how it is that there are black people and white people and brown people and golden people and, and so forth, even though the, mis there, there's the, the details of that may have some mystery for us, the scripture gives us the answer to the enigma here as to where we all came from. From these three boys, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and um, came, this is the statement, came all the people who were scattered over the earth. So it don't matter if you're living on an island and you travel by dugout canoe, if you're living in the Arctic and you travel by dog sled, if you are living in the desert and you have to trek through the sand, it doesn't matter any of that. All of the, very all the various people of the earth with their amazing differences, height and weight and genetic disposition, they all came from these three boys. And we're told in chapter 10 how they began to spread out on the earth. And basically, Japheth went north into Turkey and Russia and what would have become uh, Europe. And those were the, the light-skinned people. Us, most of us here, the white-skinned people are descendants of Japheth. Ham, the, the son of Noah named Ham, immigrated to Africa and all of the black people are Hamites, or descendants of Ham. And then Shem, uh, in the Middle Eastern and Oriental area, uh, his descendants peopled that area. 
And it's always been one of the greatest ironies of history to me how that the Arabs who hate the Jews, are all, all of them are descended from Shem. And they, uh, they uh, don't want to see it or admit it, and yet they're, they're all cousins. And that all of the different people groups, Indians, Orientals, all of them, came from this particular stock. It, in, in, I'm no expert on this, but in the genetic variation from things that I've read, in the genetic variation is infinite possibilities. Almost infinite possibilities. And so this is nothing that is, uh, is a great shocker to true geneticists and scientists. But uh, these are, from these men came uh, all the peoples. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard, and he drank some of its wine, and he became drunk. And you know the story. It, gets, it goes downhill from there. Uh, I take it from that because it's never mentioned before that Noah was the first person to, to farm specifically with vineyards. You know, vineyards the, became the staple of that part of the world and still in many places in the world. Wine and grapes in the vineyard is a symbol and a huge section of agriculture. So Noah had a lot of territory to cover and he did cover it with his family. And... We have read through his story here. I believe, I could be mistaken, but I believe that Noah and this event receives more press in the rest of the Bible, outside of Genesis. In the, all the other parts of the Bible, there's probably more mentions of Noah than any other person, except for Jesus. Noah and the flood and the cataclysm and destruction of the earth is used as an example in a number of instances in the New Testament and even in elsewhere in the Old. And so I felt like I would like to take, I have a few minutes, I'd like to take a few minutes and look at some of those places where other people in the scripture under God's inspiration, under the inspiration of God's spirit, describe or talk about this man and this event. So that's why I refer to it sort of as footnote. You know, footnote is sort of a, a, technical, uh, a, a technical comment on a story. You're telling a story, but you don't want to mess it up by saying, oh, here's exactly what this word means. So you just throw in a footnote and say, here's an additional angle. Here's something to think about. I don't want to detract from the story, but I want you to know this. So that's why I kind of refer to these, these other scriptures sort of like footnotes on the story of Noah. The first one is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. In the book of in Hebrews chapter 11, we're, we're talking about faith and given many different examples of people who live by faith. And this is what the writer says about Noah and his faith. That Noah was warned about things that had never happened. They were, they were specifically, he says, unseen. But there was something stirred within him, and he calls this a holy fear. See that? Noah had a holy fear. And so in that holy fear, he built the ark, he saved his family, he saved the world. I take it, that 
this holy fear is a different reality than emotional fear. You know, we all have emotional fear, but we don't go build an ark just because we have emotional fear. But there was something within Noah that said, what I have heard, the voice of the Lord directing me, is going to happen. I am as certain of it as I am certain that I put my shoes on my feet this morning. I cannot see it, but I know it. If you've ever been around a believer, a strong believer, at the time of their death or near the time of their death, it is an amazing and inspiring experience. Many times I've had people say to me, I absolutely, certainly, positively know where I'm going. Can you see where you're going? Nope. But I know. Because they have a certainty of the unseen spiritual world. And this was what it says was the true of Noah. He had a holy fear. Not, it wasn't just emotional fear where he was shaking and biting or, or you know, chewing his fingernails or something like that. It was, it was based on something that God had told him, that God had said, nobody had ever seen such a flood. Nobody had ever seen such a boat or built such a boat or even conceived a concept of riding out an ocean of water on a big platform filled with animals. I mean, it had to be one of the weirdest days of Noah's life when God said, once you build an ark, I want you to bring in all the animals. And I'm going, to just, I'm going to kill off everybody. No, I mean, he, that's a lot to process. But he, he believed it. And he had within him this certainty that the voice and the story and the future were going to happen. It, it, that it was real. And so he responded and he, and he actually obeyed and he did what he was he, he did what he was told. He followed through on what was told. Here's another uh, mention of Noah in the New Testament. This time, it is actually Jesus who talked about Noah. So if the skeptics are right, and there was no flood, and there was no Noah, and this is all a myth that somehow has refused to go away, we have to include in the, in the myth the fact that Jesus believed it. Jesus spoke of it. Jesus actually used it as an example. And what Jesus said was, and this is in Matthew 24, where they're talking to him about the day of his return and the end of the world and the, and the, the cataclysmic fire that will fall and, and the, the burning up and the ending of everything and the transition from this existence to an eternal state. They were asking Jesus, when is this going to happen, man? What are the signs? How are we going to know that, you know, we want to get ready. We want to make sure we're ready. How are we going to know when you're going to return back to earth? And Jesus said, well, as it was, here's what I'm going to tell you for the answer. As it was in the days of Noah, that's how it will be when I come. Now you have to scratch your head a little bit. You have to think and you have to say, oh, he didn't tell him a date. He just said, well, here's the sign. Uh, I'm going to give you the same sign that God gave the world when Noah was there. And, and that sign basically is that life is continuing on as normal. 
Those people didn't see anything different until one day it started to rain and rain and rain and rain and rain. But other than that, Jesus goes on to say, man, there was weddings and there were funerals happening. Uh, there were, people were going to the restaurants and the grocery stores and the gym. Life was just the same on the day it started to rain as it was the day before. Of course, you had this guy out here, this lunatic out here in this field building this, this boat. But he's been at that for a long, long time, so we've forgotten all about that long, long ago. And so the point, it seems to me, that Jesus is saying to them is, listen, there will be no sign that is so recognizable that you know it's time to lay down your hammer and get in a boat, that it's time to quit sinning and start being saved. There's, never, there's not going to be a sign that appears in the cloud and says, I've got, you got a week yet, and then it's all over. You better repent and so forth. This is going to be a normal day. And people will be doing their normal stuff. And some people will be at work and some people will be sleeping. And Jesus went on to say, you know, two people may be grinding grain down at the mill. And it happens and one will leave and one will stay. And it's just going to be that kind of thing. And so I'm putting this in my words and saying the, the sign or the image that Jesus portrays is about those people in the days of Noah was by the time they believed it could happen, it already did happen. It had, done, it had already started, and the door was shut of the ark at that point. Wow, what a parable that is. What a, what a powerful um, motivation that is for us. And we're not going to get a warning that is so ostentatious that we can't miss it. We're just going to be going about a daily routine when the Lord opens up the sky, and we hear this sound, Paul says, of a trumpet, and it will be the time of his coming. But he used Noah as an example. Here's another uh, footnote on that story in 2 Peter chapter 3. And this has to do with the fact that people laughed and scoffed and made fun of and ridiculed Noah and the whole, the whole saga that was unveiling as he built the ark. And they, they were hostile and they were humorous about the fact that they were told by Noah that there was going to be a giant wave of water that was going to tsunami across them and it was going to destroy them. And they, they made fun of him and they ridiculed him. And they, the, the word that Peter uses is scoff. Scoffers will come, but they deliberately forget. Deliberately forget. How do you do that? It means you ignore what you know. That's the only way you can deliberately forget. Otherwise, you accidentally forget. You cannot deliberately forget. You just decide to set it to the side and not believe it. They deliberately forget that by God's word, the world of that time was destroyed by a deluge of water and by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire. So, so Peter is describing the fact that God didn't engineer something. God just spoke, and the flood started. And someday God's going to speak, and this world will be finished, and this life will be finished. This is the vision, this is the description that the Bible gives us of the future. That this world 
as we know it, will be destroyed. Not just the, the animals and human life. The whole entire world will be destroyed and remade by the Lord. That's a wild thought for us to think. This planet, this whole planet, but that's what the Scripture tells us. But what Peter says is, anytime you ever try to say something about that, people will laugh you to shame. People will make fun of you. They will scoff and they will say, that's the most ridiculous thing that anybody ever said or thought. Never happened. And so Peter says, well, isn't it interesting? That's the same kind of thing they said to Noah. Never happened. Never happened. And so the principle to me, this footnote, what we learn from what Peter says is, God's past judgment on the world was not influenced or prevented by the skeptics. Well, guess what? Neither will the future. Nobody's going to tell God what to do with his creation. Nobody's going to tell God when and how he can do things. It's just not going to happen. The skeptics are wrong. And this is uh, Peter's point. The skeptics were wrong in Noah's day. And the skeptics today are wrong. Those who scoff and say that this, this thing could never happen. Uh, another mention of the the gospel or the writer of the the apostle Peter by in in his letters about Noah and the flood and this one what I wanted to pick out what I wanted to uh, key on for a moment is the word by which Peter described Noah he called him a preacher. And he's talking about sort of the same thing, that the people ignored him and so forth. But Noah preached to them. He was, it says here, a preacher of righteousness. I, I think we mentioned this maybe earlier in one of these sermons. But there's, there are different words in the Scripture, just like in the English language. So in the Greek of the New Testament, there are different words for preacher and teacher. A teacher is an instructor. They explain. They show you the method. They teach you how things are, are or how to do things. A preacher is a proclaimer of truth. And while they might explain and while they might show, they also exhort. They also encourage. They also persuade. There's a very definite content of proclamation, not just explanation to this word preacher. And this is the word that's described of Noah. So, so my point is, Noah didn't just say to them, oh, a flood will come. Let me explain what a flood is. A flood is a buildup of water. Water is a substance in which you cannot live. You will drown. He, he, he didn't only simply explain. He said, you better come into the ark. The ark is the love of God spread out for you. The ark is the place where you can be saved. That's preaching. Inviting and encouraging people to, to follow up and follow through and respond. Okay, so the message of Noah as a preacher and the example of Noah as a guy who's out here following the Lord and building the boat, those are an absolute illustration to us of Jesus. 
who by his example showed us how to love and how to live. But then in his death and his burial and his uh, substitution for us and his resurrection from the grave, he actually made possible a way to be saved from that destruction just like Noah did by building his boat. So, so the picture of Noah building the boat is the picture of Jesus going to the cross, going to the grave, and coming out of the grave on Sunday morning. Um, and the sad part, the tragedy of the story of Noah, when you think of the fact that here you had a preacher telling these folks how they could be saved, and yet they were lost, makes us realize that even though they heard how to be saved, they were not saved. That concludes, that makes you conclude that hearing isn't the end of it. Hearing isn't all of it. You can hear and hear and hear. And something can be possible for you, but not certain, because all you did was listen. You never responded in your heart. You never responded with your life. Salvation was available, but it wasn't assured. He told them how. He provided a way for them. They didn't respond to it, and they perished. That's what we're told. And Peter is, Peter is, is reflecting on that, and he said, you know, they had a preacher for their day, and I'm a preacher for this day, Peter's saying. And, don't, and, and just, um, I'm, ta- I'm saying to you that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Just as we say to ourselves, and I preach to you, uh, I'm, I'm just a preacher, as Noah was. And I'm saying to you, explain and, and exhort you to be saved and tell you how it's possible. But that's not in itself any kind of a certainty. Every person on their own has to come to Jesus Christ and respond to him. I cannot respond for you and you cannot respond to someone else. One more mention of Noah, one more footnote to his Old Testament story in Genesis. And this is actually the words of Jehovah to Israel in Isaiah 54. And uh, it's kind of a mixed message. It's a big, long passage where the Lord is, is kind of rebuking them at times and then telling them how he loved them and he will forgive them and bring them back and and it's kind of this passage of Isaiah 54 kind of goes all different directions. It's a little hard to follow. There's not just one point that you can take out of it and say, oh, this is what it all means. But here's the, the relevant part to Noah. And I think it's interesting that God himself, through the prophet Isaiah, refers to the flood as the water of Noah. The waters of Noah. So... You know, if, if you feel like, man, we're, we give Noah too much press. We just hear about Noah, 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 and the flood, but it wasn't about Noah. I understand, you're right, it wasn't about Noah. And yet, how amazing that even God refers to that event as the waters of Noah. That, that God was so impressed with this guy that he used this one man to... To hold on to all the human race, God was so reluctant to throw it out with the trash. He didn't want to give up on it. He didn't want to quit what he had begun. And yet, he was absolutely disgusted with the direction it had gone. So, the Lord, as he, as he in, in this passage in Isaiah, as he, uh, as, as he speaks tenderly 
to the Israelites and offers them forgiveness. He says this, to me, God says, speaking to the people, the Lord's telling them how he feels about it. And he says, to me, this is like, this is like the days of Noah, when I swore that the waters of Noah would never again cover the earth. So the Lord is emphasizing the fact that just as surely as he can unleash fury, he can also say, that'll never happen again. I'm sorry, it ever, I wish it hadn't happened, and I'm so glad it's over. And it'll never, I'll never do it again. Too horrible. I couldn't stand it. Um, we've all been through situations like that. If you're a parent and you've had to put your kid through something and, and you're, you, you, you can't stand it, and you may say to yourself, I'll never do that again. Never will I do that again. You just don't want to see that reality repeated. And the Lord said, I, I, I'm just telling you like I told Noah after I got off the ark. I threw the rainbow up there and I said, Noah, look at the rainbow. And I will look at the rainbow and every time I see it, I'll say to myself, never again. I'm so happy that that, is, that that nasty chapter is finished. That's what the Lord is saying. So now I have sworn I will not be angry or rebuke you again. My unfailing love for you will not be shaken and my covenant of peace will not be removed. He's He's saying this to the Israelite people in this particular section of their history. And so I, I want to just use that to close with by saying this. That God is a God of wrath and judgment against sin, but he's always happy when it's over. Because God is not a God who dwells on anger, who wishes to be angry. He is not a God who sits there hoping that somebody will give him a reason to be angry. God is a God of love and peace and joy and purpose and, and pleasure and is, is most excited to create and sustain what he has created, not to destroy what he has created. Now, we know that God has judged the earth in many ways and places since that time, but my point is, based on what he said about Noah, that any time that God has brought a significant punishment to people, he always rejoices when it's ended. And someday, this is the promise of Scripture, not right exactly in Isaiah 54, but it's leaning that direction. But this is what we can stand up and say hallelujah about, that someday the Lord said, I'm going to be done with this stuff forever, and I will never judge another person again, and I will never destroy another planet again, and I will never, I will never contend with this. I, I won't have to repeat uh, any of this again. We're told in the other places of our Bible, that the day will come when all of sin and all of sin's, all of sin's uh, repercussions will be behind us. I think we ought to say, woohoo! Hallelujah! That that day, that such a day will come. When God won't even have to look at the rainbow and remember, because there will be nothing to remember, because we're past it. And the Lord will be, uh, we will reign with Him forever and ever. Here's a closing verse, just along that same line, where the Lord said through the prophet Ezekiel, As surely as I live, I'm not happy about sin and floods. As surely as I live, I don't rejoice in, in, in blasting some wicked people sideways. I take no pleasure in that. I just wish and want everybody to turn away from all that junk and come to me. That's all I want. That people would repent of the, of the ways in which they reject me 
and come and follow me and love me and serve me. That's all I want, the Lord says. I don't want to be to put in a position where I must punish sin. Now, we know that God in His nature and His holiness has no choice, that He, he cannot tolerate certain things, just as a, a, a person who is, by the virtue of their job, is a guard or whatever, they, they can't tolerate certain behavior. They can't put up with certain things because it'll destroy what they're taking an oath to guard. And so we, we know that, that judgment is always going to happen. But at some point, it will no longer. Heavenly Father, uh, we, as this song we sang earlier said, Jesus, I do now receive him. This man that Noah drew a picture of for us is the hero of the universe and of our lives. He is the hope of our future. He is the mechanism and the power by which it could all come to be. In Him is hidden all the wisdom and all the knowledge and all the riches of God. We are so thankful today for Jesus and for this man who uh, explained some things to us about Him long, long ahead of time. Who gave an example of such power, this man Noah. We, wanna, we don't want to be a scoffer. We don't want to be a skeptic. We don't, we don't want to be those who would ignore reality. We want to listen to the preacher. We want to be ready for what's going to happen before it happens so that we believe it before we see it. That's who we are. That's who we want to be. And that's who by faith we will be every single day. We thank you that this is all possible. We thank you for your great love. We thank you for these people from the past, such as Noah, who teach us, remind us, and inspire us. Let us follow them. Let us follow you as they followed you, we pray. O oh Lord Jesus, in your name, amen.